0: Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I've got... A lot to talk to you about today, and as well, I've got some great guests uh, joining me in a little while. Caroline Bale from Royal LePage, she's been here before; she's great to talk to. What's going on in the real estate world? Dave Butler, Butler Mortgage, he's going to be joining me. Uh, Dave will be talking to us about interest rates, where they're going, kind of the perception of what you need to do to qualify, and later in the hour, Greg Benell from BNM Bloomberg is going to be joining me, and uh, Greg is great at analyzing. I think everything—not <laughs> just real estate, but the world economy—and always get good to get Greg to break it down for us um, today. I want to talk to you about all sorts of things. You know, is it worth the drive uh, if you're going to be buying something in the outer markets? And I do want to talk to you about sex. Uh, yeah, you know that's true. Uh, we're going to talk about sex here on on Simply Real Estate, just because it's something to do with real estate. So, uh, but more importantly, I do want to talk to you about a special day coming up this week. That's right, M- the one that's marked on your calendars, I'm sure, Thursday, October the 22nd. You know, big, 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 big day. Yep, Thanksgiving, no, nope, not that one. It's the U.S. Thanksgiving, of course, but more importantly, it is our Simple Seminar coming up at 7 p.m. If you haven't signed up to join us, make sure you do, go to the simpleinvestor.com and um, make sure you join us we're gonna be talking about what is going on in the world of real estate uh, who makes the best tenant some of the rules and regulations of the LTB that are changing uh, we are going to talk about cannabis and you as a landlord how do you handle it and all sorts of wonderful things so make sure you sign up to join us this Thursday um, but yeah yeah everybody's probably saying okay he's gonna talk about sex well yes I am and it was interesting because the star threw together an article about open houses and the fact that sometimes people are coming home and Your bed is a little disheveled and they're actually saying that it may not be your realtor, but it could be people visiting an open house and You know is your realtor actually walking those people through the house or do they kind of disappear upstairs for a few minutes? And this is one of the things that's actually happening in fact more and more you know, incidents are being reported and lots of complaints that are kind of being filed saying, hey, yeah, what is going on in our house when we are not there? Um, I, one thing I want everybody to understand is that if you do think something is offside when you're going through a real estate transaction, make sure you go to RICO. That is the Real Estate Council of Ontario. They are the governing body and they can look into something for you. Don't think they're going to do a DNA swap test or anything like that uh, on your bed sheets, But what I will tell you for sure is that that they do manage realtors and the expectation and the rules and regulations. So you know, again, if some if you're kind of suspicious, um, if you are doing open houses, if you have an open house, uh, ask your realtor if they actually follow people around. You know, do they lock the door, take one person through at a time, or is it a free for all? It's like Ole, so, you know, go throughout the house. You know, don't mind us, we won't mind you. And uh, so this was an interesting article. I thought it was worth mentioning. So y- you know, you can always put video cameras in, but I'm pretty sure that you don't want to see those afterwards. Now, uh, lots going on. As we all know, we did not get the Amazon bid. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? A lot of people are saying good thing because we just don't have any place to house that many new employees. And, you know, right now, I think the, the government's saying that We have a bit of a win, you know, uh, that there was a victory for us here because we were considered, you know, in a major, major bid for one of the biggest companies in the world. And the fact that we got the honorable mention was good. Now, apparently Amazon is going to, I think, shoot a little bit of work, uh, you know, amongst the top 10 or 20 uh, uh, cities to make sure they all get part of it. They did end up splitting it, by the way. They ended up putting it into uh, two different locations, which I think is probably not a bad idea. Now, let's take a look at what's going on in the real world. Uh, CMHC with a report out talking about if it is worth the drive. So they started analyzing you know, the money that you save, your time in the car. And it was interesting because the one thing I didn't see in this report is your family. You know, they didn't really talk about the idea that is it better to, you know, raise kids in the concrete jungle um, or is it better for them to be in a neighborhood where they can just go ride their bike on a street? And, you know, as much as we can talk about the person that is commuting into Toronto, if that's where they work and the loss of time that they would be spending with their family, you know, we we really didn't focus a lot on the other part of the equation. You know, are you moving into a community that is, you know, a real community where, you know, everybody's out doing barbecues and doing certain things? Is it someplace that you're going to be able to stay for the next 10, 20 years? You know, a lot of times when people are going into condominiums, you know, it, it's kind of for a short term. You know, they're looking at anywhere from one to five years. Kids start getting a little bit bigger. They have to, you know, expand, go, go to a bigger space. So is it really worth it? And only you can make that decision. But I, I got to tell you, as a suburban. Um, you know, my parents went through it, uh, when, when I was a kid and of course we're not talking about price, I'm just saying in general, as far as the travel time and it was definitely an asset, uh, at least what they considered to be worth the drive. And again, it's one of those things that I think you can't quite quantify it, but you need to, you need to put, you know, some merit into the fact that if you can afford a detached in an outer market is it better to be there than you know trying to get deal with the grind of Toronto and uh, all the big hub that's there and again i think i think there's definitely you know when we take a look at the big picture I think that um, there is definitely merit for you know younger couples young families you know avoiding the drive you know you're you're living in a community you can walk to work hop on the subway so I, th- I think there's definitely some positive there but ultimately in the end I think you have to really sit down and say okay what are we trying to achieve it's not just about money it's not just about you know saving time in the car it's what is the big picture and I think that a lot of people need to do that so uh, talking about numbers this uh, week as well of Of course october not bad uh you know market is up 3.5 percent from a year ago as far as the actual market itself but i still believe we're going to come in shy quite shy this year on the number of sales we still haven't seen the major transactions all sorts of reasons why this happened uh, you know, not just the stress test, not just the increase in mortgages, uh, not just kind of the a little bit of a collapse of a real estate market. There's a lot of things going on. I think people kind of checked up and just they hopped off the bandwagon that was uh, that was out of control last year. And that whole mindset has now changed where it's like, OK, you know what, maybe maybe we're better to rent for a while now. I know some of you are struggling to find rentals, and this again is going to be a really really, Really tough thing in the future no matter what uh, we just don't have enough inventory being built to keep up with the demand so one piece of advice that I want to give everybody is that if you're going into rent and you're making an offer to rent, make sure you have all your ducks in a row. Make sure you have your credit report, your copy of your employment letter. Make sure you've got your deposits, whatever is necessary. Make sure you have everything ready. Don't just, you know, show up and go, okay, yeah, you know, it'll take a day or two to put everything together. If you don't show up ready to to actually do it, then we're going to have a problem. And You're not going to get it. Somebody else is going to come along. Uh, you know multiple offers in rentals uh, one of the main reasons of course is that we are almost running a zero vacancy in the downtown core you know they just can't build them fast enough and we're seeing the pressure on the rents we're seeing prices go up and so if you're going to be a prudent Tenant, if you're going to be an active tenant, make sure you've got everything handled. Uh, And by the way, if you are having a realtor represent you, make sure they've done this before, make sure they know everything about the leases, make sure you're not signing something you do not want to sign. I know most of you think of me as just being a landlord, and, and that's what we do, of course, at The Simple Investor. But ultimately, in the end, I also believe in the fairness for all tenants and you want to make sure that you're not signing something that you should not. And there should no, no landlord should be allowed to kick you out just to turn around to find another tenant to pay them more rent. So I want everybody to keep that in mind. So joining me now is Caroline Bale of Royal LePage, your Community Realty. And um, welcome back to the show, Caroline. I had you on a little while ago. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And um, I'm hoping that maybe you and I can get some updates going. Look forward to it
1: and thanks for having me back.
0: So right now here we are we're you know we're winding down the real estate year of course we're getting close to the holidays. Um, are you still finding some heat in the market currently?
1: It's definitely picked up in the last couple of weeks so we saw a slower pace sort of the summer didn't really pick up the fall but in the last like four to five weeks we've definitely seen things picking up again.
0: Yeah, when, when I was looking at the, the recent numbers posted, of course, you and I have the, uh, you know, we get access to TREB and all sorts of interesting numbers that are coming through. We're starting to see some numbers that are, I, I would say, promising, uh, if anything, you know, looking at the the greater Toronto area, you know, prices, sales are up a little uh, year over year. Again, nothing, nothing staggering, but, you know, if you hear a 3.8% increase uh, year over year, um, I mean, that, that's a positive when we're not going backwards.
1: Right. And you know what the nice thing is year over year we've seen increases in both the sales and the average sale price of the GTA. So definitely very promising.
0: Right. And now when when we talk about the low, um it, was there a target uh, you know kind of target month that we saw our low in 2017?
1: Um you know what the lowest one we would see if I look at it would probably be January was the lowest, we sort of had January, February, March were slow, and then we did actually pick up. Now, if we look at month-over-month sales for October versus September, we're down slightly by 1%, but the interesting thing is average sale price is up 1%.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and again, that's kind of that that contradiction, you know. But um, I, I understand our inventory. You know, it's it's I would call it a state more a stable market than anything right now.
1: Yeah, and the interesting thing is, we've got the new listings are down two point seven percent year over year, but again, the sales and average prices have gone up by six and three point five percent. So not a robust market, and definitely a little tighter market when you've got fewer new listings coming out. But again, it's pretty stable.
0: I'm going to go to a quick break. But when I come back, I want to talk to you about the condominium market, probably the hottest market that we're seeing right now in the GTA and right across Canada. So if you don't mind, stay put. Folks, when we come back, I've got more with Caroline Bale from Royal LePage. And we're going to be talking about condominium. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Hi, and welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Caroline Bale, and she's from Royal Page, your community realty. And Caroline's been a, a guest on the show several times. And uh, Caroline, just before the break, you and I were talking about the actual market and what we're seeing. We're seeing a little bit of an upward trend, which is a positive thing. But yep. m- more importantly, I think I'd like to talk to you about the results that are happening in the condominium market. That seems to be leading the charge this year. You know, when we talk about growth, it, it seems to be kind of the, everybody's weighing in on. Condos.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Definitely the price growth continues to be driven by the condo market. And I mean, there are a lot of reasons for that. You've got first time home buyers, you've got a lot of people that are driven to the city for job purposes, and you've also got the people downsizing.
0: So when we take a look at the, the, the latest release, um, they're saying year to date we're up 8% uh, price wise and, and I'm pretty sure that it, if it didn't go any further that still would be deemed a really strong you know, increase year over year. Uh, you know if if 8% increase if everybody had that in their real estate they'd be absolutely thrilled absolutely. But, but you know the reality is as you mentioned you know we talk about first-time home buyers all the time but we just talk about people just generally trying to get into the market the affordability the stress test everything that's been implemented which kind of pulled people away from detached. But, you know, when you take a look at the average sale price of a condominium, we are getting a lot closer to the semi-detached townhouse market, which is, you know, we're closing the gap. Is it Are we going to see a little bit maybe of a, of a switch in people's thinking in the near future?
1: You know what? I think absolutely. I mean, when you look at it, detached prices for the average detached home in the GTA, it's down 9% whereas the prices for condos are up almost 8%. So when you look at it, it is a great time to buy a detached or move up when the spread between them is so slight. Like we've never had such a tighter spread. And so for people for moving up, not only are interest rates low, but when you look at the fact that you'll also be saving on the monthly maintenance fees, it makes detached or that move up even more affordable.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's probably where we're going to see a little bit of the market you know, I think that that lower price detached for townhome. I think I think that's the one to watch for 2019 because, again, as you mentioned, you know the the gap is getting smaller. If you factor in condominium fees, you know it's amazing because you know uh, five five hundred dollars a month nowadays pretty much represents another hundred thousand in in borrowing costs. And wow. and when when you look at that number, you know I think I think they really are. You know it's getting much tighter. So do you do the leap of faith? You know if you're able to get into that detached and hold on you know you're going to be there for a lot longer than maybe doing your first step into a condo.
1: Well and I think that is a big thing too and I always suggest to that- any buyer even if they have um, lenders speak to your lender and see what your buying opportunity is because with the low interest rates now is definitely the time to get into the market but also to buy up because as you're saying not only are you saving on the monthly maintenance fees but this will be a long-term investment so rather than sort of looking at a condo as your first time home buyer or staying here for say the next five years if there is the opportunity to move up to that next level that purchase is now going to take you another 10 to 15 years as your family grows and your your needs change so you're definitely saving on that aspect as well so definitely a great time to to make the move up.
0: You know, it's interesting because a lot of articles recently have been put out in the newspapers and and, and in the media uh, talking about people's drive time and, you know, the affordability of going out to the suburbs. But, I mean, there has been quite a gap that's been created, uh, you know, with with kind of the 416 coming back online a little bit quicker than the 905. There's actually almost a three to four hundred thousand dollar gap in the detached market from the 416 to the 905 so the 905 is looking a lot more affordable but then you know people are starting to say is it worth the drive you know (laughs) to to wherever
1: (laughs) you know what and it's interesting because yes you've got the drive that you've got to factor in but now with most of the outlying areas i mean the go the public transit system is incredible like all of that has been ramped up right across making your travel time to the city Um, less time-consuming and also more comfortable. But also with the highways we have now, I mean, between any of the 400 highways, you've got the 407, the traffic is not as bad and not as time-consuming or costly as it once was. And I think the thing is, too, with a lot of people's jobs and the way the economy is now, people have the opportunity to work from home, and there are a lot more people in that home-based business. So there isn't the need to go to the city as much as there used to be even, say, five or six years ago.
0: Yeah, and you know it was interesting because this week, um, you know, of course I always tune into the station here. I'm, you know, an avid listener, and one of our uh, one of our hosts was uh, taking some calls, and it was interesting because a lot of people say that you know sometimes that commute, and if it takes them an hour, they they find it actually their own quiet time. You know, they kind of get into this thing where you know they either make phone calls or they just listen to music, and they kind of find it, it it actually a little bit therapeutic. Which, you know, a lot of people would be sitting there saying, "Are you kidding?" You know, a drive for an hour back from work is not therapeutic, but it kind of gives them their alone time. And, you know, oh. there was, I can't believe how many people actually said, I don't mind the drive because it's my time.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And even now, you can get all the books online. There are so many ways that you can actually make that time work for you.
0: Well, and, and looking at the price point, I mean, if if you're able to save, you know, three four hundred thousand dollars in a purchase, a interesting article that came out. They said, okay, let let's compare a one bedroom rental in down to the downtown core. Let's say it's between two thousand and twenty two hundred dollars a month right now. Um, yeah. Where is where is that same money being spent if you own a detached detached not 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 even a one bedroom, but a detached house? Um, right now, your your Kitchener Waterloo area, you're just a slightly higher. And if you take a look at uh, carrying costs, London, you can own a fully detached house, backyard, everything at the same price as your one bedroom condo. So, I mean, there really is that drastic difference when we take a look at the the downtown core versus the, you know, the outer markets.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it more than offsets any additional cost. So, yeah, by moving that little bit difference, even if you're factoring in, say, gas, and time. I mean, for what you get in the in the suburbs. I mean, I'm even looking at now. If we look at single-family detached in the city of Toronto, um, they went up about just under two percent. Whereas in York Region, the detached home prices are down over six percent. And condo prices are up 11%. So when you look at it in the city, it's definitely much more affordable and a great time to, to buy a detached and move up. And, and sometimes it's within the community, but it's also in the outlying areas you're getting even, you know, more bang for your buck.
0: Yeah. So Caroline... and, and
1: again, that step would be the next. You don't have to look at moving in the next couple of years. It would actually take you through to the next step of, yeah. you know, family, <laughs> larger home needs.
0: Yeah. So quick quick question for you. What, what do you see 2019 doing?
1: Well, you know what? I mean, we've still got a strong regional economy. There's steady population growth, uh, low boring rates, even though, I mean, it's gone up slightly and they are expecting a few more interest rates hike next year. I mean, I think we're still in a very good position and we're looking at continued growth for 2019. Excellent. You know what? I think the number one thing to keep in mind is that home ownership is always a good long-term investment.
0: Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Caroline, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Great, and have a wonderful day.
0: Excellent. Thanks Thanks so much. Folks, when I come back, I've got Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage joining us. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back to the show. So my guest uh, now is Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. You hear Dave here pretty regularly I like having Dave on because you know he just cuts to cuts the BS out of the mortgage world and we go straight for the throat of what's going on and uh, Dave welcome back as usual
2: thanks Todd appreciate it
0: so um, lots going on you know like even even though when you and I have a you know a bit of a gap where we don't talk for a few weeks or a couple of months you know there's there's lots of things that happen you know, Bank of Canada rate changes that kind of thing but you know we're starting to see some you know shifts I think in mindsets in in the in the mortgage world uh, can you kind of bring us up to date on what's happening yeah i mean
2: uh, throughout throughout the last little bit um we've seen activity pick up a bit uh we don't know if necessarily that's the uh, customers rushing to the doors because they're hearing the rates are moving um, but we have had some unusually high activity for what we thought for september and october um, november and december obviously you know are normally low type uh, months of the year, but we are noticing there the activity level does seem a little picked up a bit from last year. Uh, the big thing is obviously interest rates. I mean, every single call, you know, that we are getting, it's it's involving you know, should we be locking in? Should we be staying on variable? What's going to happen over the next couple of years with rates? And that seems to—that's really got the interest of all the Canadians right now that we're speaking to.
0: So let's let's talk about rates, just just you know, openly, because I'd rather I'd rather our listeners know you know what's what the real world's looking like. Well, uh, variable rate today. What what are you normally securing at this time?
2: Um, right now, we've still got stuff in the high twos, believe it or not. I mean, just the other day, I was able to get a 2.75% variable rate. So that's prime minus 1.2, which you and I know, I mean, looking back over the years, that's just an insane discount, insanely good discount sure. off the prime rate. So the banks are really trying to keep the variable um, something that's interesting to Canadians. So we've got as little as, you know, in the in this day, call it three quarters to high twos. Um, and we've got some of the banks in the low threes on variable And then we've got fixed rates perched up in the, you know, your five-year fixed rate's going to be in the three-and-a-half to high threes range right now, which is a really big difference. I mean, you you and I were talking just about over a year ago, I mean, before the rates really started moving. I mean, you remember, we were down in the two-and-a-half range for a fixed rate, which was really just insane. It was comical, to be honest.
0: Yeah, and I think that's obviously what spurred a lot of the economy at the time. And now that we're starting to see kind of an adjustment here and there with, with interest rates. Um, Dave, one of the things, though, of course, and you and I have talked a lot this year about this, but I kind of want to recap for our listeners. You know, we're we're running down to the end of the year now. But one of the important things is people understanding what the stress test truly is. Can you, can you give us the lay of the land of what's going on with this thing and, and how people you know can best navigate
2: sure yeah I mean the stress test is definitely you know for lack of a better term it's caused a lot of stress for a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) Um, stress test basically is where the government is forcing the banks to use a higher qualifying rate on your application and really what that means is you know take a year ago let's pretend the fixed rates were let's say two and a half percent well when you were applying for a mortgage You just had to qualify for the mortgage as if the payment was at 2.5%, right? Pretty easy to qualify at that point when it's such a low rate. Well, the government decided, hey, rates are going to be going up. We don't want to just have Canadians qualifying on whatever the rate is. We want to build in a buffer. So we're going to have Canadians qualify at a much higher rate. And if they qualify, then we'll give them their, you know, today's 3.79 fixed rate or whatever that is. Today, the stress test rate is high. You're talking, you know, some banks, are they split hairs on what, how they're, how they're calculating it, but right now, you, today, you got to qualify on about a 5.5% interest rate. So that means that the mortgage payment of the property you're buying or the property you're refinancing has to be set as if the payment was at an interest rate of 5.5. And then if your GDS and TDS calculations and ratios work, then the bank will approve you for whatever the rate is today. That's a really, really big difference compared to years before, um, and that's that's we're finding that's causing people's pre-approvals to be a little bit lighter. And then, of course, what we hear from a lot of you know uh, people in the real estate game is that it's causing there to be kind of a spot where you know, for instance, I'm I'm hearing that properties that are in the one to one point five million dollar range, there's really a lot, you know, there's not a lot of demand for them right now, is what I'm hearing, simply because. And I think it's because there's not a real easy way to qualify for such a mortgage when you're having to qualify at 5.5% today.
0: Yeah, and I mean years ago we would have thought that 5.5 is a great rate. Uh, <laughs> of course, and 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 you know the the norm becomes the norm as as everything does and when people get accustomed to a change and you know I was reading an article recently that um, you know they're saying that CMHC is saying, "Oh yeah, everybody's getting accustomed to the stress test, everybody's getting accustomed to, you know, the higher interest rates, so all is good." Um I would caution people just to 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 look at it as just being something casual. Because, again, looking at last year's run-up, you know, before interest rates really started to go, before they put the stress test in, a lot of people committed to the builders, and you know, now as they approach closing, you know, over the next let's say six months, year, two years with some of these builders, you know, they may not qualify. Where? What advice can you give these people? Because I think there's going to be some people that are going to get trapped here.
2: Yeah, I mean, the best advice I can I can give to them is to make sure that you've got. Kind of, you know I don't want to call it an open-ended contract, but certainly you want to know that your builder will allow you to assign that property to someone else potentially before closing. Um, you know you definitely want to if you feel like you're in a scenario where you may get affected by this stress test and these changes of rules, definitely look at getting co-signers. I mean co-signers are something that for the last I want to say 18 months, you know we've at our organization we've had more situations where co-signers have been added to files than probably any time in the 15 years prior to that. So certainly, you know, co-signers, so a parent, a brother, sister, family member that's willing to come on and help you qualify. And the way that that works is that we're able to use that co-signer's income. And that's, if if we get to the real heart of it, the stress test is really just making it harder for incomes to qualify. So if you're able to add income to that particular file, then that can actually change things and almost negate the stress test. So, you know, certainly having the ability to assign the property to a different buyer prior to closing and then certainly making sure that you've got some outlets for possible co-signers, those are always going to be, you know, certainly big ideas to help. And of course, larger down payments. I mean, a larger down payment can certainly offset this high qualifying right. rate. And those are just those are probably the three main things that I would say to look for
0: okay now Dave if we if we take a look at what the banks are doing, do you think they're going to get a little bit more aggressive with discounts you you mentioned you know a point and a quarter as a discount on a on you know a variable do you think we're going to see a little bit heavier discounts into our five year to keep it you know going because you know we, you and I've watched over the years we've had a couple of you know mortgage companies they come out they stick their neck out they get a little more aggressive with their discounts of course that's that created a bit of a ripple through the lending um, Do you think we're going to see that? in in 2019 cuz i mean you know there it's getting tougher and tougher so
2: i do i mean banks have banks have shareholders that they have to answer to and they have profits that they want to keep um they have analysts that are you know want, are projecting certain profits for them to keep their stock price up so i mean anytime you're in that realm and you've got a shift in the industry I think it's definitely going to be a knee-jerk reaction of the banks to start to offer heavy, heavy discounts. to Try to keep things going. I mean, no bank wants to go and release numbers where they're down, let's say, 25%, as an example, in their mortgage business. So you're going to see them um, not give up easily. I mean, I'm definitely expecting some of the banks to come out really hard in in terms of uh, hard discounts and really good discounts for 2019, uh, one in particular that I'm, I'm, I'm at least predicting is Scotia Bank. Um, I've kept an eye on them quite a bit. Uh, they really seem to have some lackluster uh, mortgage figures for their quarter three, or for their for their quarter three and their quarter four. Um, their fiscal year ends at the end of October, so their new fiscal year just started November first. Um, I'm feeling like they are likely to come out of the gate in 2019 with some really heavily discounted rates. They were not a real major player in the rate game for the last year, ever since rates started going up. Um, but everything that I'm reading and everything that I'm, I'm surmising is that uh, they are likely going to want to rebound from their lackluster numbers in quarter three and quarter four. So um, I'm definitely expecting that to be a, a sector-wide uh, kind of knee-jerk reaction to bump up the discounts. And as you said, we're seeing it now, right now with the variable. I mean, years ago to get prime you know your, your average variable rate might have been prime minus 0.5 or prime minus 0.6 to see today that there is prime minus 1.2 and higher percent it's, it's this is unheard of discounts so I think we're going to start to see that translate a bit onto the fixed rate side and I do believe that the banks are going to try to keep their mortgage business up but that is a major major um, indicator for how they're working and how the, how they're able to control their profits and how they look to their shareholders.
0: Excellent. Well, listen, Dave, always a pleasure having you on the show and giving us your feedback. And uh, best way for our listeners to reach you?
2: Best way to reach us is simply uh, at our website, butlermortgage.ca or butler mortgage, uh, butlermortgages.com. Um, and certainly they can contact us by phone at one 684 8326
0: Great, always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Dave.
2: Thanks a lot, Todd. Take
0: care. Okay, thank you, folks. That was Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. And coming up after the break, I've got Greg Benell from BNN Bloomberg joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest now is Greg Benell. You can watch him two p.m. two p.m. every day during the week at BNN Bloomberg. And Greg, welcome back to the show.
3: Always great to be here, Todd.
0: So let's talk about what is actually going on in the world you know, it's always great having you on because you don't just analyze real estate. You kind of analyze all the factors that are going to influence real estate. You know, CMHC sticks their nose in it. Everybody <laughs> wants to get out there. Everybody, There's a lot of opinions floating around, Greg, and I'd rather get a real one. So maybe you and I can have a good chat today.
3: All right. Yeah, lots of, lots of talk uh, going on. And of course, it's always about borrowing rates as well. These days, everyone just wants to know how much is money going to cost me in the future? And I mean, in, in the end, that just means your mortgage rate.
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting, uh, I had Dave Butler on uh, just a, a few minutes ago, and when we were talking about it, what he said, though, is that the lenders, he think are getting pretty aggressive with some of the discounts that they're throwing out there. Uh, you know, right now, the, there was a variable rate floating around with a discount of 1.25. We haven't seen those kind of discounts in a very long time. And, you know, I think, I think there's a few people that are trying to still maintain a little bit of, a, you know, a market share.
3: Yeah, that's the push and pull, right? You look at the bond market, and, and we know that rates are moving higher there. We look at what the Bank of Canada is doing. But then the banks still have a mortgage book that they you know, want to grow. And if they don't get, as you said, uh, sort of uh, aggressive in terms of getting people through their door, and usually that aggressiveness is in the form of rates. So it's just really a decision for, for the lenders. They're going to take a look at it and say, yeah, we know that our funding costs have moved higher, both in the bond market and from what the Bank of Canada has done to the prime rate. At the same time, though, if we want to remain competitive, we're just going to have to sacrifice our own margins. So, yeah, so it won't be unheard of in a rising rate environment, particularly heading into next spring again. We'll go through. We're, God, I, I, want to, I want to fast forward like we've already gone through the winter, but it's just starting to take hold. But once we get back to the spring again, if these lenders start thinking about how aggressive they want to be in bringing business through the door, they're just going to sacrifice their profits to get us in that door and get us to sign that mortgage with them.
0: Okay, so let's talk about you know obviously one of the biggest factors here, the Bank of Canada. Um, you know, I think I think they think they have something to prove. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think they want to say I told you we would, we've done it. Even if it wrecks a few people on the way up, then again I th- also think it can come back down. You want to give us your your take on the uh, the Canada Bank rate?
3: Yeah, I had an interesting discussion the other day with uh, someone who uh, follows the bank from uh, TD Economics and basically thinking that their base case heading into the fall was that we would get three more rate hikes in 2019 from the Bank of Canada. But then they've noted how sort of aggressive the Bank of Canada, Governor Polas has been, his his deputy, uh, Ms. Wilkins, in terms of talking about getting back to a neutral rate. Now, that's Bank of Canada speak for basically the rate where they think they're no longer uh, stoking the economy, you know, trying to get us to borrow, but not tamping it down either. And they, they keep talking about getting back to this rate. They haven't told us exactly what that number is, but most people I talk to would say, you're talking about 2.5, you know, 2.75 for a Bank of Canada rate. That, that would mean getting even more aggressive than three rate hikes next year. And the TD uh, analyst I was talking to basically said they think there's a real risk. Not that they say that the bank should go more aggressive than three more hikes next year, but there's a real risk given the the talk that they're giving us right now and some of the economic indicators they're looking at that they might go for it and be more aggressive than we're anticipating. And of course, we know right away that has an effect on prime at the big banks. And that means if you have any floating rate loans, a floating rate mortgage, you're going to be paying out more and more and more in interest payments. So it was an interesting conversation. Most people think the base case is three more next year, but the way the bank's been communicating lately, they're thinking they, they want to get back to what they consider that normal rate uh... of course before the next recession, and then you have to cut rates again
0: well yeah i was just gonna say so so are they still using the same blinders that most of the horses that are drawing the carriages because you know i i gotta say that it seems like there's a tunnel vision going at right now and if we're taking a look you know you take a look at the this week in oil you take a look at brexit you, t- you take a look at the world economy itself you know there's a lot of sputtering going on and i think the aggressiveness that they want to do with the interest rates i think that you know, as much as they are saying, they're saying, you know, our numbers are looking good in Canada, I, I think we're kind of running on close to vapors pretty soon.
3: Yeah, there's been a lot of people that I've talked to lately, too, and these would be fund managers, uh, investors, uh, heads of companies saying that when you look at how aggressive they're getting on the rate hikes, they're not convinced that the Canadian economy is in a strong enough footing. We, we, we can take a look at some of the data that's come in this year. Some of it's been pretty strong and encouraging in terms of the labor market and uh, what we're getting paid. But at the same time, every time you're looking at a data point from StatsCan, you're looking at something that happened a month, two, three months ago. The concern is if you're gonna get this aggressive into 2019 and raising the cost of borrowing for Canadians, what's that gonna do to the economy? The first thing it's gonna do, we're not gonna spend as much. And we look at the past 10 years, we did exactly what the Bank of Canada wanted us to do. They made money cheap, so we took it, we spent it, we put it into real estate, we bought cars, We, we propped up the economy. That's the first place where you're going to see it. People are going to say, wait a minute, if if it's a little more expensive to borrow cash, maybe I'm not going to make those purchases like I used to. That's going to slow economic activity. So you end up in a weird place. A lot of people I talk to are a little bit doubtful. They think the Bank of Canada, they don't see why we're getting this hawkish tone from them other than just to get back to a place where rates are normal. So for the next recession, you got the dry powder, then you attack it again. You end up in a weird, I mean, the economy is cyclical, but you end up in this sort of weird cycle that you're being told, okay, stop the borrowing, stop the borrowing, and the next time we get in trouble, hey, money's cheap, start the borrowing again.
0: yeah. <laughs> kind of counterproductive it's like okay you know you're up to your neck in debt but we're gonna make it cheaper so you can spend more of it um <laughs> you know and and again you know we're gonna be coming into you know a federal election in the near future and you would think that at, at that you know it, there's a push and pull between the federal government and the bank of canada sometimes and you know sometimes they're not always in sync
3: as well yeah you have to wonder what promises are going to hear on the election campaign trail next year what And housing. Housing, when I think of some of the provincial campaigns or even municipal campaigns we've had in the past little while, because it's such a hot-button, passionate issue, particularly in big urban centres, I mean, the the housing file and real estate prices have become front and centre. A lot of campaigns will be interesting to see what Ottawa and once they start campaigning in earnest, what they have to say about housing. Of course, you're probably going to hear from the Liberal government that all the moves that they've made have brought stability. We we got the. the Bank of Canada weighing in actually in uh, recent days on that as well, saying the uh, the stress tests, the higher borrowing costs, uh, mean that we're seeing a f- fewer households that have just pushed themselves to the to the max in terms of uh, borrowing. Going, going in and getting mortgages. So, so they see that as a good thing. They say, that OK, the, the credit quality now of people who are uh, borrowing from the banks to, to buy a home is getting better. And they also had another paper that they put out this week at the Bank of Canada basically saying if there were a, a deep housing correction that was countrywide, not, not just limited to one city or another, but countrywide, they think the financial system could handle it as well. So that, that's the big concern at least they have at the Bank of Canada side. If something really went wrong, how hard would the banks get hit? And at the same time, how risky have we been in terms of our uh, borrowing? They think it's actually getting better. So I, I imagine the liberals would seize on that and say, look at us. We've been in power for four years. Things are getting better, not worse.
0: See, okay, so you kind of touched on what I consider a sore spot when we talk about politicians and housing. <laughs> um, you know, all, all all the blank promises, in in my opinion, and nor nor have they ever come up with an idea how to you know deal with the issues and. Every single time a politician turns around and throws out, hi, I've got a solution, it's going to take 10 years. It doesn't make any sense to me, and I don't think that the provincial or the federal government will give a solution. And if it's, okay, let's, you know, even even if we turn around and made things more affordable, there's just no inventory to make affordable.
3: They Do you want, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, they want to hit the sweet spot, right? I mean, that's the thing about being a politician, because you don't want to alienate anyone. So the sweet spot is that place where you can uh, look to the millennials and say, hey... Home prices aren't going up 30% year over year, that's us, and then you can turn around and say to the boomers, hey, you didn't see a big crash in your housing price, you still got your equity, you still got your nest egg. That's the dance that they always want to do, but it's a pretty tough dance, but that's, that's the art of politics, right? Make, try to make everybody happy <laughs> and hope that they're going to vote you back into office.
0: Yeah, but again, going back to the false promise of inventory, th- they have no solution. When oh, oh, yeah, no yeah, you have, take a look, they,
3: what, where is there left to, to build in the city? I mean, we, we've heard from Toronto officials saying, well, you know, there's some government land, there's some provincial land, there's some city land, we'll free that up. And that might add a little bit more, but you're right. Every time I hear about what is the plan for the city of Toronto to bring affordable housing online, and you hear about 10,000 units, 20,000 units to different promises, there's a timeline of a decade. It's always It always seems like it's five, 10 years down the road. What's going to happen today? What's going to happen now?
0: Yeah, well, and and that's the biggest thing. I mean, so we have to elect the government three more times just to get that that yeah, to, tenure, get, that pro- that to get that promise they made five years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, I hate I hate to you know do the proverbial dump on the government, but you know they they really dropped the ball. This this has been you know something that people have been well aware of for the last twenty years, and you know the the way they've done it, um, you know they need the private private sector to kick in at this point. You know, I talk about it all the time on the show here there is no solution from the government so what the government needs to do is get the people that actually are the people doing the building and meet with them and actually create the solution because you know we we can talk about you know all sorts of millennials that are you know they want you know an affordable house but here's the problem there's just no houses to make affordable you know, it doesn't matter that the prices go, can go up or down. There's just not enough of them. So, yeah, where's
3: the where's the incentive for the builder to want to build? Well, a, this g- is given the regulations and the rules.
0: Yeah, and and it's getting tougher and tougher. Uh, you know, as we go along. So this this, this is going to be our biggest. I think this is probably the biggest crisis in housing that we've ever seen. Uh, historically, and I don't think any of them are actually taking it seriously enough to, you know, they say they are, you know, they turn around and do all sorts of studies, you know, screw the studies,
3: turn around and do something, put a shovel in the ground, or let somebody else do it and get it moving where we may have dodged a bullet, and it sounds weird that Toronto lost out on getting Amazon's second headquarters. But <laughs> I was t- going to ask you that, yeah. But I talked to a lot of people who said, can you imagine? Like the We we're, were talking about thousands of jobs at an average salary of U.S., U.S. 100000 That far outstrips anybody on an average basis in Toronto on what they're making. So can you imagine competing with those people? for housing. Someone gave me the example basically saying you would go in and say, well, I'm going to put a conditional officer, uh, offer conditional on financing with my bank. And they say, and oh, no, I got some whiz kid who's working at Amazon. He's 21 years old. He's got a bag full of cash. Sorry. like That, <laughs> that would have been a huge strain on our housing uh, sure. supply. The two things that we, we, we're in trouble in the city, right? We're trying to move people around our transit infrastructure, our, our roads, and uh, trying to get people housed. If those people showed up and the Amazon headquarters showed up with the kind of bankroll they would have had, we would have seen some serious strains on the city.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, listen, Greg, always a pleasure to have you on the show. And, you know, thanks for your feedback. And um, I will be in touch soon.
3: All right. Always great to be here.
0: Great, thanks. Folks, that was Greg Bennell from BNN Bloomberg. Don't forget, you can catch him weekdays for The Real Economy at 2 p.m. I want to thank my guests this hour, uh, Caroline Bale from Royal LePage, Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage, and again, Greg Bennell from BNN Bloomberg. And I want to thank Ian and Andre. They always keep it simple for me each week. And more importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in. So remember, I'm back uh, next Saturday, 3 p.m. And just a quick reminder, if you have not signed up for the Simple Seminar coming up this Thursday at 7 p.m., make sure you go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.